Hello there. Welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for early October 2016. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not X-Wing Alliance. Ooh, that's cool. Craig, I know, yeah, and that's just for you, Craig. <laughs> and my name is Craig Miller, and my game of the week is not Railroad Tycoon, the board game, also known as Railways of the World. Now, is that one that was originally made as a Railways of the World and then repurposed as a Railroad Tycoon, or was it vice versa? It was vice versa. So, Eagle Games published the game Railroad Tycoon, and it was based on the license from the video game. And in fact, the artwork for the original release has the same artwork as Railroad Tycoon 3 does. Right, right. At some point, they lost the licensing rights, and the game went on a print for a bit, and... It was, came back, and it was basically rebranded Railways of the World. It is identical game, identical components, same maps. It's just basically renaming it, and nothing else much changed. Do you know what other video game adaptation they did where the same thing happened, where they lost the rights, and they re-released it with a new name, and, and for the most part, nothing uh, changed? I, I do know this, uh, but I, I, I am blanking on this at the moment. Do you not have, in your board game collection... Craig Miller, a copy of... Actually, now I'm blanking on the name of, of what they changed the name to. Something like Empire's Conquest of the Americas, or, or Conquest... Oh, Age of Empires Empire. 3? Right, it was originally Age of Empires 3, but they lost the rights to it, and then they re-released it as... I can't think of the name. I think it's... I'm going to go with Empire's Conquest of Americas. Like that. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar, but no, I do not have the game, and in fact, I have never even actually played it, although I have wanted to. The, the, the Age 3 one or the Railroad Tycoon? Uh, I, no, I have Railroad Tycoon. And uh, okay. it, it, was, it was not my game of the week, not because I do not love the game. I do. It was my favorite board game for the longest time, but it has been replaced by a new love, and so it is not my game of the week. And that's important that folks know that, that when we specify something is not our game of the week, we're not slamming it. We're instead just praising other things instead. And in fact, yeah. I played uh, Railroad Tycoon over the weekend with my uh, wife and my brother and sister-in-law. So, yes, it is a fantastic game. Love it. If you do not have it, I cannot recommend it enough. But it is not the game of the week. Craig Miller, why am I not the least bit surprised that you play board games with your wife and your brother and his wife? Well, I understand you guys are a fairly tight-knit group. What's going on there? <laughs> well, um, as, as we mentioned during the pre-show, my wife and my, wife, my sister-in-law were college roommates. And, and in fact... My brother is one who set me up with my now wife at, at the time when we first met. See, I'm, I'm also imagining the story from their perspective. Like, there are these two women who are roommates in college, and one of them has a date. And she says to her friend, um, his older brother is single, and, you know, my date is saying, hey, can we set him up with one of your friends, so why don't you just come out with us? And she's probably like, oh, I don't know, really? There, there, there is more than a kernel of truth to that, although... They had they they say I, I cannot verify uh -huh. the truth of this, but they say that repeatedly throughout their college year because they they roomed together all four years. They had joked that mm -hmm. they are going to marry brothers one day. Well, they did. Whoa! Now, I, I, <laughs> it sounds I, like it sounds like you guys were set I, up. And I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny the accuracy of the statement. They have told us this repeatedly <laughs> over the years, but my, neither my brother nor me were obviously around to witness this. So we can't say. Out of curiosity, how quickly? So, so when your your younger brother says, "Hey, I've got a date, uh, Craig, come with me," you're going to go out with her roommate. Uh, how long had he been going out? About with this a girl? month. Like, we, 
Okay, so it was a fairly it, new thing. So eventually, he marries her. Which one of you marries first? Oh, my, my punk little brother could not wait his turn. He, he skipped the line, and, and they got married about a month before we did, actually. Uh, almost exactly a month. Wait, so the, the weddings were that close they as were. well? Like, the weddings were... Wow. Man, your family must have been very busy. <laughs> that, was a, that was indeed a very, very busy summer. Uh, unfortunately... You know, like I said, he did not wait his turn for getting married. You know, he, he, he's six years younger than me, so you understand this is a little, that was a little bit of a, a, a little jab from him. But I had kids. My son, is, my son came first, so it, it worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, is it just the two of you, you and your brothers? No, we, or do we have more a sister. Um, so my, my brother is six years younger than I am. My sister is five years younger. So they were, they were very close in age, although my, admittedly my sister was closer to me than she was my brother for reasons of – well, unsurprising, their proximity and age. <laughs> she never right, had to go to exactly. high school with me, and she had to go to high school with my younger brother. And so you can imagine that had some fun moments. Right. Now, I want to talk about the family that you come from. You are not a fireman, Craig Miller. Your father, however, was a Chicago fireman. Well, not, His not Chicago. Father. He was a, a, a town right outside of Chicago called Hinsdale. You know what, for... For those of us out here in Los Angeles, it's Chicago. Like, you can't go – Los Angeles is downtown. Everything within, I don't know, 30 miles of Los Angeles, it's Los Angeles. Yeah, it's kind of the <laughs> same here. You know, like you're from Los Angeles. I'm from the Chicago area. I mean, you go for starting downtown, you can pretty much drive an hour in any direction and still be in the suburbs. So, right. you know. So, but when, when I say Chicago fire, like, the idea is he wasn't, like, in, in like, the, the urban – core of chicago that's not where he was a firefighter i guess okay um but a chicago area firefighter your grandfather as well although Uh, it it was not my hmm? father's father but it was in fact my mother's father oh i just assumed wait okay no no wow okay so it's an it's not like a family lineage just like it's in a weird way okay weird that my grandfather worked at the fire department my father worked at and in fact he worked there my father came out into that fire department after he got married to my mother. So, okay. it, yes, it, 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 is, it was kind of a family thing, but not directly as such. Although okay. my dad's father was in the Marines for a number of years, and then he went on to be a police officer in a town nearby as well. So, so see, your dad's father – so your grandfather then, would, they, would he have been in World War II? Uh, my, 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 my dad's father was uh, actually in the Aleutians. So that was World War II. Oh, wow, yeah, because that, that was the only, if I'm not mistaken, the, well, it was the only instance of the Japanese seizing American territory. Yes, yes. They, they grabbed the very tip of, there was something at the very tip of the Aleutians, and they're like, ha-ha, we have it, we're now on American soil. Pretty, pretty uh, much. Why it did, was, that, that is, the, uh, um, I believe that was the only time since the War of 1812 that U.S. territorial sovereignty had been... Um, ah, but I, I, and, and that's because I don't think you can count the Mexican-American War because Texas right, was not part of the United States at the time. Exactly. Uh, so why didn't, why didn't your grandfather keep the Japanese from grabbing the Aleutians? <laughs> what, what happened there? Um, I, I don't have any honest answer because <laughs> I, I, he died when I was too young to really ask him much about that. Uh, okay. Sometimes, sometimes you have to lose a battle to win yeah. a war. If we'd, if we'd put all of our resources into defending the Aleutians... Then who knows what happens to the Lake knows? Islands or Australia, exactly. Or the European theater, right, sure. exactly, yeah. We, we might not have landed on Normandy if we were fussing about the Aleutians. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I want to hear... The coast is a little more important than a, a bunch of uh, 
rocks and ice that right. pretty much comprise the illusions. If we were really bad as a country at strategy games, that might have happened, but we know better, right? We know where the victory points exactly. were. Exactly. You know, you, you, Northern France is, is, is a solid five. The Aleutians is like half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so, Craig, before we geek out too much on games, because, boy, are we going to geek oh. out, uh, I want to know, what was it like growing up with a, a dad who, who was a fireman? Like, it seems like it would be cool, and he has adventures, and... Uh, isn't it awesome to grow up and be able to say, what does your dad do? Uh, he's a, he's an office manager. What does your dad do? Uh, he sells insurance. What does your dad do? He's a fireman. Like, what, what, isn't that cool growing you know, up that it, way? It did have its moments. It absolutely did. Um, although it's not as cool as you would always think because an unfortunate downside to be a fireman, and, it, and it's not this way at all departments, but a large majority of them, they do a, what is a 24 on, 48 off. Uh, right, right. So because of that, my dad was oftentimes not at a lot of things. Now, it did it, it, it wasn't strictly because of firemen, but so you know it was cool because you know he did this you know this noble you know public service thing, and which like I said, my my father and my grandfather on both sides, and even my mom was you know my mom was a nurse, so they were all in this kind of like this public service sector. So you know it had this you know tinge of nobility about it, but at the same point it. It was challenging because, you know, with him being on the fireman, he's also always on call. So it made, you know, doing things, he, you know, he, he never really unplugged much from that. You right. know, he would have the alarm on, you know, the, the radio and, you know, he would be, you know, he'd be on call on certain days. And there was a lot of times, you know, a lot of holidays that you know, were, were challenging to arrange because, you know, it's not like firemen get the day off on Christmas. They have, someone has to work. And so the way they usually arranged it is that someone who was, you know, the shift before Christmas Day would stay an extra eight hours. And so, you know, that the people who had to work Christmas Day could have, you know, the morning with their family and then they'd come in. So pretty reliably holidays were, you know, always at the behest of, you know, that aspect. So it made some challenging times, but it, it did have this tinge of nobility that was, you know, that did have a lot of pride with it. And um do, do you remember any particular, like, stories he might have told you or close calls or, like, him being a fireman? As a kid, don't you want to know, like, what he's doing and hear spectacular things about burning houses and saving kittens? Well, you know, it, it, the reality is that there weren't a lot of burning houses because, you know, he went to he, – he, he was a uh, – now, if you, you may not know much about Hansel. I wouldn't expect anyone outside of the immediate area would, but it's a pretty rich town. Um, a lot of people, a lot of famous people live there. So a lot of the local newscasters live in Hinsdale. Um, baseball players like Frank Thomas and Joe Quinville, they're – I know you're not big on sports, Tom, but if, for people who follow sports <laughs> at all, they will, they will recognize these names. You know, one was a Hall of Fame baseball player for the Chicago White Sox. The other is a Hall of Fame coach for the Chicago Blackhawks. They all live – Craig Miller, do you really think you have to explain to me who – Jim Thomas and Henry Winslow are <laughs> Joel Quenville, right? That's what I yeah exactly. I, Some people pronounce his name differently, but that's yeah, you know, that's it's French Canadian. Yeah. I understand it's hard to say for us Americans. <laughs> so so it it sounds like then it's a neighborhood where folks tend to have good fire yeah, prevention. I mean, it, there's a lot uh, of yeah. millionaire mansions in the area, so there wasn't a lot of a lot of exciting fire calls. Although he had, did have a few, and uh, one um, before he had to retire, where he actually. I was in, in college at the time. I was in uh, Terrell Hole in the Ground, Indiana. It's the little town in, uh, that I was going to college at Rose Holman. And my dad was getting an award for 
um, exceptional, going above and beyond the duty, essentially. And he's gone. You know, it was this fire. He had, you know, rescued someone, and he was basically getting, you know, an award for it. And I came home for this award dinner. They threw for him. They gave him this medal, and another another fireman as well at the time. And it was it was this whole big ceremony. You know, they rented out one of these banquet halls in the area, and it, that was a really cool moment. So. Yeah, I mean, how cool it must have been to see, like, your dad given all this adulation at that ceremony. Yes, yeah. especially since we didn't know at the time this was this was only a few months before he would have to be retired from the fire department. So this was kind of like this, you know, big, you know, gala celebration, you know, in his honor. It's kind of like one of the last things he did as a fireman, so. Right, right. Now, uh, he, uh, you, you mentioned because he was on blood thinners, it was sort of like a mandatory medical leave. Yeah. They, they don't, you know, obviously he's in more danger if he were to get an injury. Oh, yeah, exactly. Than, than yeah, exactly that. You know, fire, fire has a certain amount of risks inherently associated with it. So, you know, you get, you get to get a cut in a fire and, you know, you're start bleeding and it's not, it's yeah. So they, that was the department policy that they, you know, when there, there are certain medications, if you're on them, you can no longer be an active duty uh, officer. So someone who gets to retire, you said he was, you know, still in his yes. 40s. What does he do with his time? Like, I, I, by the way, that sounds like an awesome thing. I mean, it probably sucked for him in a way, but he could just play board games. Well, you know, he, he uh, could if he was the type of person who played board games very much. But no, it's um, it, it, he does his time uh, doing a, a number of different things, a lot of TV watching. He's he's on and off been working throughout the years. He is currently working. You know, he works at a place where he specs out. Um, you know, specialized trucks for like, you know, fire departments or, you know, plumbers. And like, you know, you know, you see those work trucks that have like these specialized equipment on them. He, you know, he's working at a place where he uh, kind of specs those out and designs those. So, sure, but, sure. Uh, you know, he had, he's had, you know, years where he, you know, basically was effectively in a semi-retired state. He um, has, you know, has been much more active in things like, you know, he is big on uh, at, at his church. He, he basically runs all the, emergency protocols there and he trains everyone and you know does fire you know does the fire planning and stuff like that and so he he's kept himself busy with things like that and otherwise than that you know his free time he you know, spends a lot of time working on you know cars with friends and stuff like that or go, you know he him and some uh some of his you know friends from the fire department you know bought a place of land piece of land a couple you know about an hour and a half two hours away where they have the hunting property there and it's kind of a farm and he spends a lot of time down there oh. working on you know you know you know, the blinds and doing maintenance and stuff like that, draining fields and that kind of stuff. Well, okay, so I don't know if you know this, Craig Miller. I'm just going to give you a little helpful tip. <clears throat> when hunters talk about a deer blind, it's not something that a deer wears. I just no, want it, you to it know. is absolutely not, and I've spent more than enough time to yeah. know in them that there's a place where people go to take a nap. It's like a four- – oh, they, they sleep up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I did. Now, so you've been hunting. I, I did. I, I've not gone in a number of years, but that, growing up, that was kind of like um, the, the family bonding thing, you know, that we we went out and did. It was never that was never quite my favorite thing, but it was kind of like one of the the quality time things I could do with my dad. Where um, because he was a fireman, when we went away hunting, he obviously wasn't able to be on call because hey, you're a couple hours away in the middle of the woods. Yeah, really yeah. can't answer to a radio call. So right, let it burn. Whatever's going on, well, he can't exactly. help. Yeah. So. Um, that was that was one of the you know one of the reliable ways we would have time you know, where we could spend just the two of us. So, so in in movies, Craig Miller, uh, when a child is taken hunting by his father, there is the moment where the child has to like kill the first deer or whatever, and sometimes he feels bad about it. Uh, do you remember the first time you shot like something that like a, 
uh, I don't mean to. As someone who's never been hunting, uh, I'm, I think it's weird slash fascinating. So I'm curious if you remember the first time you killed something. I, I, I do, because there's not a lot of examples I could give you, to be honest. Uh, we mostly went deer hunting growing up, because my grandfather, um, this would be, now my dad bought this property with a fireman in the recent years, but before that, my dad um, and I would go down, my grandfather had this piece of land on far southern Illinois. Um, now, Tom, you, you, I know you're a, a fan of strategy games. Have you played any of like, the uh, Civil War games? Sure. You know how like, on yeah, southern yeah. Illinois, there's this little island off a place called Cairo? Uh, I do not, but did it figure into the Civil it, War somehow? It did. It was a ma- it was a ma- there was a major staging area. It's right where the uh, Mississippi and Ohio rivers converge. There's right, right in the very okay. tip of Illinois. Um, there's, you know, and it was a place where a lot of the Union, you know, you know, Union armies started, and there's some significant battles that started in the area, because it was right by Kentucky and Missouri. But anyhow, right in the southern tip of Illinois, not too far from where Cairo is, there is um, this Shawnee National Forest, part of the Trail of Tears, which I'm, I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with. Um, sure, sure. So it, it's actually, hit, my grandfather had a piece of land, but it up right against the Trail of Tears. Like, in, in fact, you could walk from his property into the woods into the, the Shawnee National Forest, where the Trail of Tears is. Um, so we would go down there and we would go deer hunting and it was miserable and boring and we never got anything. And I was, I would usually stop there taking a nap or reading a book. Um, <laughs> by the way, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I read multiple, and it's not a book I would read nowadays, but I, I remember reading multiple Tom Clancy books over the course of our hunting trips there. <laughs> um, I, 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 I have since grown past them, but that was, that was my reading material up in the, in the hunting blind, uh. There's no shame in reading Tom Clancy. Lots of people do. Oh, oh, sure. I, I for, for a variety of reasons, I, I've kind of gone. Yeah, okay. I'm not. I'm not really. That particular brand of uh, jingoism doesn't appeal to me as much anymore. Sure. sure. What? 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 Actually, I find more. Uh, what? What is more of a catching point for me in trying to read Tom Clancy isn't so much the jingoism as the Mary Sueism. Oh my gosh! Like, yes. he's. He's, yeah, he's an insurance salesman who made it big as an author, but you can tell that he's he kind of, as an insurance salesman, just wanted to like save the world and be a super spy. And you can tell from his you can characters tell that the fact that he was rejected from the air force, you know, because of his right. his eyesight. It, it, it's it stung him a little bit, it, you know, it hurt. So yeah, you, there there are not one but two author insert characters that I can I can easily recall in the books. One the spy, you know, superhero type, and one the you know, office superhero type and they always trump like the actual military exactly. leaders and the politicians yep. and yeah yeah so so i don't mind clancy's jingoism but i just can't stomach that that blatant america <laughs> uh, and then that and that really is probably more than anything else with turning off of the books is I go, you know can you can you make this self-insertion a little less obvious <laughs> Now, Craig, so I don't know if we're intentionally steering away from it, but I'm really curious. What is it like the first time as yeah, a no, child no, no, when, most, you, when you have to was, kill something? That was definitely not a plan. Uh, so it, this was actually um, – so most of the time we didn't get anything. So it was actually pheasant hunting. Real, real quick, like how old would you have been when, you, when, you take, when your dad takes you hunting? Uh, like is that something that I, a, I, an eight-year-old does? Uh, probably seven or eight was the first time. Like, okay. I, I remember okay. I was probably seven or eight when I, he took me into like the hunter safety classes, you know, the firearm safety, and we did all the you – know, the classes and videos and stuff like that, and you got the card. And um, but my dad, you know, I didn't have my own gun. I was just, you know, kind of going with him. You know, we would go deer hunting and stuff like that. And it wasn't until probably, oh, I want to say probably 
high freshman sophomore year of high school that I, that I got my I had my own gun that I was deer hunting. Now I never actually got anything with it deer hunting. Um, mm-hmm. it was it was later in like college when my dad really and my dad and my grandfather really got into like pheasant hunting that that I actually ever shot anything to be honest. Okay, okay, but then much younger than I guess. Uh, maybe a more formative moment for you, and I don't, I don't know. I'm just projecting here. Uh, you must have at some point seen your dad shoot a deer. I, well, I, uh, I did. Our first year when we went deer hunting, we got a deer, and I helped track him. And that was, that was actually really cool. I'm like, here's my, my dad. My dad is, he's, he basically says, I want you to track him, and and I mm-hmm. successfully did. I'm following, you know, the leaves. And I'm going like, I'm pointing out like, where I think he went. And he's like, okay, keep going there, and we actually managed to get it, and. Then we went every year after that for the next seven or eight years and didn't see a blasted thing. <laughs> so, right? Uh, are you are you currently a gun I am owner? Not. I, I, I actually have I have not gone hunting in probably seven or eight years. It, it, like, like I said, it was never really my thing. It was a thing I did because it was right. it was a way to spend time with my dad and that kind of bonding thing. But it, it never really was my thing for a variety of reasons. Not any moral. Um, objection to hunting per se because we would only hunt things that we we didn't weren't doing the trophy hunting i actually do have a a strong moral objection to, to, to that kind of trophy hunting but um we would go out hunting and we you know we would we would we would you know do this to, to you know get the we'd eat the pheasants the deer the duck whatever we you know it was all for food and so that you know was, that was that was fine but it wasn't it wasn't my thing i i have other interests that i rather pursue and with my very limited free time um, hunting was a very easy thing to cut once I moved out of my parents' house. And, you know, <laughs> right. You know, it, right. We, had, we had other ways. I, I, we've, ironically, one of the, and this, this is going to sound weird, but one of the best things that ever happened in my relationship with my dad was actually him having to have quadruple bypass surgery. The thing that made him not be a fireman anymore was actually very good for our relationship because we had a kind of a strained relationship before that. But that changed after that for a whole lot of reasons. Both him and I came. So from he he must have he must have been pretty young too when it happened. If it retired him at yeah, 45, no, that was that, that was when he, must he have, retired just months after his his quadruple bypass. He was right around the time he was 20th anniversary on the fire service actually. So okay, okay. so yeah, so that 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 changed our relationship, and we, we because of that we actually started to have other commonality, other things we could spend our time doing, and so the hunting became less important. So it became very easy to. To, to shut that out at that point, because didn't, we didn't need that anymore. You know? Right, so. right. Have you ever tried to play a board game with your dad? I, I, we have, and there here are a few he actually will play and enjoy. Uh, oh, like what? Tokyo is, is probably one of the... Oh, good Lord, that's for children, oh, Craig. No, it's not, it is a fun... <laughs> no, it is not a deep strategic game, but, you know, you, you roll some dice, you punch some monsters, and, you know, you play a game in 20 minutes, and... It's it's great. It's a lot of fun, and and like it's one of those things. My father plays it with us, you know, because the idea of King Kong punching Godzilla in the face in Tokyo and then dropping a tactical nuke on the playing field, it's just it's so absurd and silly and fun. And 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 more importantly, there's enough randomness and chaos that you know it's not like he feels that he's going to be locked out. You know, the game. You know, you're always you always have a path to victory available. Maybe rather slim or may rely on a lot of luck, but you still, there's, you all, as long as you're in the game, you still have a chance. Everything you've just described, Craig Miller, is why it's a game for children. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just being facetious. It's, a, it's like extreme beer and pretzel well, stuff. Well, absolutely, and, uh, and, and that's yeah. you know, what we use it for. Like I, I, I have no problem with those light games like that. I, they're, they're fun. They're, right. I mean, 
they're never going to be my favorite game. They're never going to be like, we have a couple hours to kill and play a game. Uh, they're never going to be like, oh, let's play this. But if, hey, we have, you know, half an hour and we got, a, you know, six people around the table and we're just kind of chilling and we're not around it. Yeah, you know what? My, my, my mom will play it. My dad will play it. My, all my siblings and, you know, my – there's no one I know who will, who will turn it down and, you know, my family and friends like that. So it makes it a very easy game to play. And there's other games that fit that bill. But, that's, you know, like um, anything in that genre, anything in that vein, that's, that works fine. So this would have been a great place to segue into games, but before we do that, I want to ask you about uh, uh, t- two things. Uh, so you, you still live where pretty much where you grew up in the same general area. Yep. Uh, are, are you still like? Do you still have friends that are the friends that you grew up and went to school I, I with? Do. Like the, the- um, in fact, my uh, one of my best friends, uh, who was the best man at my wedding, is someone who I've known literally since we were in diapers. So. And uh, what what kinds of things do your friends do? Because I'm always curious about that. I've lost touch with most of the people that I grew up around just from moving. What kind of things did your friends turn out to really, do? The reality is that of of the friends from before high school, like before college, that I still keep in touch with, there's only really two that really qualify. Okay. And, and they both have moved to different states at this point. Um, okay. One has moved to Ohio, and he's a fireman out by, uh, by Dayton right now. Uh, and the other has moved to Oklahoma, and he's a, a, a youth pastor out there. So, uh, so Some of the few folks that I've looked up uh, that I grew up with did things like went to jail. <laughs> like, I, yeah. Uh, uh, all right, so the other thing I want to ask you about, you've got a, you've got a baby on the way. Do, do you know the sex we of do. the baby? It, it, it's a baby girl. Ah, awesome. So you've got a daughter on the way. Uh, congratulations in advance. That must be very exciting. Um, so your your wife is due in February. Yes. What is she doing? The whole crazy hormone swing. I'm pregnant I, I, thing I, right I, now. I, Maybe you shouldn't say. By the way, I don't want to get you in trouble. I, 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 I have a little more leeway since she will never ever listen to this podcast. But okay. let's just say that I am glad that we're having a girl now because we have a boy already. Because if we never have to deal with her being pregnant again, it will be perfectly fine with everyone involved. <laughs> so. So you've got a boy already who's two and a half, and here's the thing I want to ask you about. Uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old, you said you took him trigger-treating last year, and he was really into the idea of, oh, yeah, sure, candy, I'm into that. He's two-and-a-half mm-hmm. now. We're on the verge of Halloween. One of the things that I think must be awesome about having kids is introducing them to, to like, Halloween scary things. <laughs> and I say that mainly because I'm, like, a big fan of horror. Uh, if, if I had a son, I would be like, yeah, I can't wait till he's old enough that I can start and this is going to sound kind of weird, but till I can start seeing him, not scared, but fascinated in a way with horror things that no longer works for me because I'm too old. Um, I completely understand I, the sentiment, even though it okay. would not be horror that I would share that with. Well, when you say not horror, then what, oh, you mean like board well, games I mean, you're talking uh, about? I'm not. I know you're a big fan of horror, Tom. I, I personally don't care for it much in most respects. Um, horror movies, it just, it's never really worked for me. And this ties into a lot of subjects that upbringing and, you know, I grew up in a very strict legalistic Baptist family. And so it's kind of one of those things that for a lot of reasons, there's some, some weird reservations in the back of the, my mind that even though I don't really go along with that type of mentality anymore, it's still kind of, so I never grew up with horror, never really got into horror growing up, and most horror I saw was admittedly not very good, so I, it just kind of never really clicked. And there's a few things that work, like uh, 
Silence of the Lambs, that was mm. I really thought that was cool. But most well, horror just mm. doesn't do it for me. Well, you know, most horror is terrible, by the way. It's a terrible genre to be interested in if you have any critical standards whatsoever. Uh, here, let me put it this way, though, Craig, that I think will uh, help you – that I think will make it clearer what I'm trying to say. Uh, I, I, uh, my closest friend has a, a boy who at the time was uh, six or something. Uh, we went to see the movie Brave. Now, have you seen Brave? It's a pretty innocuous sure. Pixar movie. Yeah, it's an, awesome, it's an awesome movie for adults, for kids. But there's a point in Brave where – uh, she runs into these will of the wisps, oh, sure. and they take her. and And the will of the wisps are kind of cute, but they're mysterious. Uh, sh- and I remember seeing it and sitting next to my friend's son, <laughs> and him being scared of the will of the wisps. Uh, and it, he, he got over it, like because the will of the wisps don't end up becoming monsters or anything. But I just remember his his fear and and the power. That, that mysterious the, – the movie intended it to be mysterious and intriguing, and it just had so much power over him as a kid. And I watch it, and I'm like, yeah, cool, Will of the Wisps. You know, there's a long tradition of that, and often it's swamp gas, and it goes into mythology <laughs> as creatures trying to lure you to your death. You know, I'm, I'm so analytical about it, and it's cool, and I like it, and I really appreciate its role in the story. Uh, but just the power it had over my friend's six-year-old son – I so envy that. I so envy – you know, it's just a matter of seeing the world as a child, and I guess that's one of the huge advantages of being a yeah, parent. Yeah, seeing through more than I – and actually, you know what? That, rem- that reminds me of something from this weekend. So you've uh-huh. seen Zootopia, right, Tom? I, I believe you – did you do a podcast on it? I have. I have, yes. Okay. Um, so my wife and I actually – we saw this for my wife's birthday. We went and saw it, um, and we left my son with my, my parents, and you know, they watched it for time. We kind of had a date night out. Which is a pretty rare thing. We we pretty much go see maybe one or two movies a year. It's basically last in the last twelve months we saw Star Wars: The Force Awakened and uh, and uh, and Finding Dory. Well, <laughs> that was with my son actually. So we actually saw three movies. We saw that. We saw we saw Star Wars. We saw uh, Zootopia and we saw Finding Dory. When Finding Dory with with my okay. son, the other two were you know uh, Zootopia was just my wife and me kind of on a date night type thing. And when was, Wait, you took you took your wife to Zootopia on date well, night? Well, you know, it's it's very hard to find time, and it was kind of like we had an opportunity, and that was the best movie out at the time. And we we, we both like Pixar and Disney movies, so you know, my wife. Okay. You know, so it was it was like, okay. You know, let's look. At it. We've heard it was really good, so we'll go see it. You know, we went out and we had a dinner at Maggiano's before, and um, you know, we had a nice and we went back to my parents' house. But when we saw it, we saw a scene. It was we thought it might be a little intense for my son because he's two and a half. Well, you know, it came right. out on Netflix, and, you know, recently. And so over the weekend, I kind of like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll put on Netflix, see how my son likes Because he loves animals. He loves, he loves, like, Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. He loves, you know, right. all kinds. In any movie with animals, he just, he is rapt attention to. Um, mm-hmm. But we weren't certain now if it was going to be too intense for him. Because there's a couple of scenes that can be pretty intense for a kid, you know. Uh, the scene where the animals are going feral, especially the panther. It's kind of dark right. and moody, and then you have this animal just kind of going on this rampage. And I thought, my son, might he might get kind of freaked out of this. But he's like, okay, you know what? We'll kind of test it. We'll see how it goes. So I put it on, and then we're watching it on Netflix. I mean, if, 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 he, if he starts to get scared, it's easy to turn it off for fast forward. It's not, nothing lost. Like, if we take him to a theater and he gets scared and starts crying during the movie, you have to kind of walk out. And then he paid a bunch of money. That's no fun <laughs> for anyone. But, right. you know, he's sitting there watching it, and like, this whole time, like, he's just like, into the movie. He is just laser focused on this and like the 
the parts I came, came up and I thought he might be kind of scared by it. And he is, he understands kind of what's going on. He, he, you may not think a two and a half year old is going to kind of quite, but he'll watch a movie and that's the bad guy. And, you know, he, he understands like the broad concepts of story. You know, you won't, and he can like tell you kind of what happens during the movie. So he, he's, you can tell he understands what's going on and at a very broad level. So this scene comes on and he's watching, and he's like, Oh no, animals, bad guy. And like, he's just, he's not scared by it, but he's like, you know, you, you can see the intensity of the scene. He's like, like kind of like, you know, every, every time something happens, like he takes that breath in, you know, and he, it, it was like kind of like, it was really neat to watch. And he, he enjoyed right, right, the movie right. fantastically. And, you know, he loved the music. <laughs> so, so let's see, he's two and a half years old, so you've got another, uh, what, 15 and a half years of that to look I, forward to, to enjoy. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. And, you know, I, if, if we could just stay where it's like, where he's, a, he's all cut up in my arms and watching movies with daddy. And, like, I, if he stays like this forever, I'll be perfectly happy that I had no problem with this. Although, you know, I might have, yeah, I might have given you some bad math. I, I just was figuring at the age of majority. But, yeah, he's going to go through his teenage phase when Listen, he doesn't Tom, think you're I cool anymore. I like your math better. Then I, I'm going to go with this. Like 15 and a half years exactly. of a cuddly little kid. I'm an optimist. Uh, so another uh, cool thing I can imagine about having a son is you get to, you know, you have someone you can play board games with in about, let me see, let me do some more math again. Uh, it might be about 10 years. I am not waiting 10 years. I, well, no, no, you can play King of Tokyo and silly stuff like that. Soon enough. I'm talking about real board games, Craig M., like the one we're going to talk about in a little bit. But, yeah. He... I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I have it on good authority from people I've talked to right. that um, I, I know people who, who play the game we are going to talk about with their six- and seven-year-olds. And, in fact, sometimes their six- and seven-year-olds can even win. So Now, that can't be officially sanctioned. Do you have a box there? Can you tell me on the box what the Surgeon General's warning says about how old you have to be to play this game? The game for... Two to four players. In fact, it seems the box. Because uh, uh, there's a government panel that determines this stuff, by the way. It's not like the people who make the game just slap it on there. This is the Federal Trade Commission. Except for this one says 14 plus. There you go. I rest my. I, I think you have to give me that. You may say 14 plus, but if you look at all of these kind of games, I've always taken them as recommendations rather than reality because. I played, my wife has a whole bunch of younger cousins that, you know, I played board games with over throughout the years. I played like games like Acquire with an eight-year-old. So they may say 14 plus, but in reality, you can probably cut that in half and be okay. I mean, they may not be able to do all aspects of the game because there's actually a lot of aspects to this game that, that you know, are, are not strictly taking place on the table. Um, that may, that 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 this building may be beyond a a seven year old, but when it comes to moving ships around and rolling dice, I'm confident a seven year old can handle that <laughs> aspect. Well, let's let's get into this then, because what you're talking about is a game that requires that you play with toys. Not just these are not toys; these are custom painted, highly detailed miniatures. Tom. Oh right, right. I'm sorry. I got <laughs> I pronounced it wrong. <laughs> All right, so th- so we're going to actually really talk cool about. Toys, so I mean, I don't disagree necessarily. Uh, yeah, uh, that, so the game is fa- uh, Fantasy Flight's X-Wing, and does it not have like a subtitle? Is it literally just called Star X-Wing? Wars X-Wing Miniature Game? Is the official full okay. title on the box? Uh, how old is it, by the way? Two thousand twelve is when it first came out. Two thousand twelve. Right. Uh, now, 
I need some background on you, Craig Miller, before we get into this. Were you ever like a tabletop Warhammer guy? I was guy? not. In fact, this is the first and only miniatures game I've ever actually played. How then did you get talked into a game? So obviously, you know, you brought up Railroad Token yes. before. I know that you are an, an actual board gamer. You're not somebody if I say, hey, Craig, let's play board games, and you're going to think, oh, well, yeah, I know Settlers of Catan, so sure. <laughs> Do not. You, you no, know what I, you're doing. I, I, you will have a hard time getting me to play Settlers of Catan. I, I, I have no desire to play Settlers of Catan. Yeah, not, you won't have a hard time getting me to play Settlers of Catan because it will never happen. So it's not a matter of it even happening. Right. Uh, so you, you know what you're doing here in terms of board yes. games. You're, you're what we're going to call a hardcore board gamer. So at some point, you either decide of your own volition or someone talks you into buying a miniatures boondoggle <laughs> that doesn't even have a board – that uh, but requires... But it does have a board, Tom. They're, they have all does? kinds of different maps you can get. They have maps that are just maps. Starfield. They have a, you know, a, you know, a, a Death Star map. They have maps that are you know, over Bespin and Endor. You're just talking about the backdrops, right? Yeah. Do they have any gameplay effect? Well, other than formalizing the player, yeah, not really. I mean, I played this okay. where you <laughs> set up a table and you, you put up a couple of you know, pieces of paper on the court and say, here's the, pl- you know, here's the play area. You know, if you go outside this, you're eliminated. I, in fact, actually, I have a, a coffee table that is almost precisely the recommended tournament table size. So, oh, right, because they can't. It can't just be open ended. Like if somebody flies off the end of the table, they can't just shift that, the action. That is over? correct. In fact, the play area takes place over. I believe it is a three by three square, thirty six by thirty six inch by thirty six inch mat that you play on. Now, for different types of games, if you're you can play on a Bigger or small areas you want. I played on tables that are smaller. You can, and for epic matches, which are a specific thing, which we may touch on later. I don't, I don't play them myself, but they're you know, including the big ships. Those play, take place on a double size area. But generally speaking, the most common format you see is this three by three play area. And the mm-hmm. uh, fantasy flight games, you know, out of their own goodness of their own heart, I am quite confident. <laughs> so these very nice looking, you know, foam backed mats that have printed play areas, but they don't have any a gameplay effect in the sense that the maps themselves do not, but the map itself does play a role. It's not like you're playing on a three by three empty square grid, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Real quick. Are you saying map MAP or Matt MAT? Uh, I think I've kind of gone back and forth between the two, <laughs> but they don't call them maps, bo- no, though, by I mean, the way, I, do they? Cause it, I'm, okay. I, right, right. I, I'm kind of using Matt to, to def, I, I'll admit I was being a little bit sloppy with my terminology. Matt and using it as kind of like a the the actual physical piece that sure, is and, sure. and map is in different printings, different views of the mat. Yeah, no, fair enough. I just didn't. I wasn't sure if Fantasy Flight was actually selling them as maps, which would uh, be an interesting they, way to put it. Because I, I know playing mats sort of yeah, thing if you have for one lots play of games. Mat, it's, it's mechanically identical to any other. Okay. And uh, so I, I presume, does it have, like, room specifically for interface elements, or nope, it's just a nope, piece of artwork? It's, it's basically a piece of, of foam with a, uh, a cloth, uh, subscreen-printed image on top. And it looks really nice. They're really sharp-looking. Um, uh, the one I really like is the Death Star 2 above the Battle of Endor. Um, it's a really, really nice-looking maps, uh, but they're not, not like they have, you know, playfield areas. When, we're, when I'm playing, when I'm playing the game, mm-hmm. you basically what you do is you set up the mat is the area where the ships go, and you basically set up your, your list, your, your, your cards and stuff. You set up just a side of it. So you put your dice, your templates, and all that stuff just to the side of the mat. So it's, it's right next to it, but it's not actually in the physical play area. 
Right. So this is basically just a, a skin exactly. for the game. And, and you can play uh, the game yeah. without it. And in fact, I do not own one myself, so... Oh, I was going to make fun of you for which ones you bought. I, I, so you I haven't even bought although, one of these maps. Although I, I, can, I, can, I will admit that the, uh, the Battle of Endor map is my, uh, my, my wish list for my birthday. So I, I, mm-hmm. by this time in December, I fully intend to have one, so... Interesting. Uh, I, have a, I have a trick question for you. Where does the Battle of Endor take place? O- o- over one of the me- moons of Endor. Ah, you got it. All right, good. That's an easy it one. It is. Though, so. uh, all right, so before, so I, I want to go back. So you, you're a hardcore board gamer. You're not someone who's given to playing with Warhammer toys, which is something, again, I don't understand. But uh, how did you get talked into uh, my own Star Wars X-Wings miniature? Okay, you're just like, this new thing is out from Fantasy well, Flight. I'm going to get this. Not so much. So when it first came out in 2012, I saw it and it looked really cool. And I, I am an easy stuff. I'm, I'm a board gamer. I like, I like deep mechanical games. Mm-hmm. And I love Star Wars. And so this came out. I looked, and this is really cool. It, it looks really nice. And it's, but I, I don't, at the time, I was, uh, I was in school online, and I was working a full-time and then some job. I mean, I'm, when you're working 50-plus hours a week, and you have a, you know, you're newly married, and, you know, you're go, taking classes online. Part, I mean, it's just board game time was hard to come by. And so I look, I'm like, sure. oh, this is really cool. It's something I'd love to play, but I just do not have the time to devote to this kind of hobby game. So I, I passed it by. And in fact, I didn't get into X-Wing until December. Um, so as, I, as you may have put together... This, this past December, yeah, yes, like within in the last year. year ago. Okay. okay. So okay. as you may have gathered, I, my, my birthday is right around the same time as Christmas. In fact, it's the day after Christmas. So this year... That, that's that's got to suck, by the uh, way. <laughs> no, it, it has its perks. Um, no, it doesn't. What? What is the perk right. of having a birthday so on December 26th? I, I will admit, I'm a, I'm a bit, I'm not someone who particularly likes to be the center of attention, you know, kind of get the big birthday party, center of attention thing. I don't like that. I, I'm, I'm more of an introvert type person. I'm not <laughs> super introverted, but I'm not, I'm not like the center of attention. I don't want to have a party. So like, it was always growing up. I was always perfectly content if everyone just forgot my birthday existed, you know, and so most of the time I would get, you know, Christmas gifts that were, I would get one bigger gift instead of two smaller gifts. Now, maybe monetarily yeah, doesn't sure. work out That's the same, but for me, I'd rather have the one big gift than the two small things, and so that way I could get the gifts, get a nice, get what I really wanted, and not have to deal with having to have this big hole below my birthday. We just kind of do it on the side after we do the Christmas present. It's it worked out for me. Uh, okay, Craig, I just want to say, denial is not just a river in nature. <laughs> now I'm teasing you. So okay, so so around your birthday. Uh, it's your birthday. You've moved past this phase of being super busy with oh, no, school. No, no, I quite uh, yet, but the, what was at the end of okay. the So I, I actually graduated in May from Florida Tech. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this Christmas, I look, I'm like, okay, my schedule is going to open up a lot in the very near future. I'm going to be graduating soon. Yay! So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So I, look, I come back and look at this game. that I had caught my attention. I really wanted to, but I just didn't have the time to. I'm like, maybe I have the time for now. So I looked at it, and I, I looked into it, and it had all kinds of positive reviews and like all kinds of cool things about it. And like, you know what? All right, I'm gonna take the plunge. So I, I for Christmas and my birthday, it was pretty much all I got. With a few exceptions, there was a few other things, you know, but pretty much anything that was not strictly, you know, like a, a you know kitchen utility type thing, you know, like a for the kitchen or anything. It was it was pretty much I got X-wing stuff. So I, I mm-hmm. all in one swoop, I, I go from not having anything to having a pretty wide range of things. And I put on, you know, I made an, a wish list and said, here, here's the specific types of ships I would want. So and kind of everyone. So it wasn't like I got like five different people got me the same ship. I had I, I had a nice range of things, and it, it, it all in once I got my nice collection, and then I started playing the game. 
Okay. Now, so the, there's the core set, and uh, how viable is it to play with just the core um, set? Like, do you feel gimped? So... I like the fact that you're taking a moment to answer and you're not just black. Because you know what else got good reviews, Craig Miller? Uh, the Symbionese Liberation Army got good reviews from Patricia Hearst. So I just want to say, you know, there's a little uh, maybe Stockholm Syndrome going on right. with you, you X-Wing people. Uh, so so I, I like the fact, by the way, that you, you don't instantly say, oh, yeah, you only need the core set. The reality you're is fine. if you just have a single core set, you have enough to play right. the game with one other person. Okay. But you won't have enough to play – a normal game, and you won't have enough to go and play a game with our people. So, first thing to explain, I, I should let's start with the basic theme. So, the, it is a miniatures game, okay. but it's not a miniatures game in the vein of like a Warhammer. In that, in order to play Warhammer at any sense of competent or competitive play, you, you basically have to drop like a thousand dollars or more into a single army to have anything that's even remotely hopeful of being competitive. Like otherwise, you're just going to get you know you're get wiped off the floor because you know, that's the way it is. Like, individual models cost so much now. X-Wing is not like that. It's, it's a miniatures game, but it's not this huge money sink in the same way. You can, in fact, right. for under $100, you get everything you need to, to make a Rebel or Imperial or one of each type of list. You know, make, make, make lists that are, that are fun and varied and are competitive enough that you're not going to just get knocked out. And in fact, you could be, I, could, you, I can make you a tournament competitive list for probably about $60 for any one faction. Now, if you want to play more than one faction... If you want to have a lot of different types of varieties here, you could. It's going to cost more. I mean, there's no, there's no two you, ways around it, unfortunately. When you say faction, it's strictly Rebel and there's, Empire, there's or is the Smugglers stuff? The game stuff came out. There was okay. Rebel and Empire um, a couple of years ago now, and I'm going to give you the exact date with Wave Six, I think. Yes, Wave Six. They came out with a third faction called Scum and Villainy, which is like your bounty hunters right, um, right. and stuff like that. And that came out in February of 2015. Uh, yes, there you go. So about a year and a half ago, they came out with Scum and Villain Faction. And, they, and, they, and if you get the core set, though, you have no... That is correct. You, you can only play so Rebel there, Empire. Okay. The two core sets are very similar, though they're slightly different. So there's, there's an original core set, which is what came out in 2012, which has one X-Wing and then two TIE Fighters. They're the original trilogy, X-Wings and TIE Fighters. Um, Dude, that's all... I mean, that, my, that's my first reaction. Is that's all you get? Is an well, X-Wing and two TIE mm, Fighters? Yes and no. You, as far as miniatures, yes... Right, I know there are the different cards for you get, pilots you get, you get, you get and all the components you need stuff, to play right. the game. And in fact, you cannot play right. the game without a core set. You, need the, you don't have the dice. The dice and the templates and the range rules, and stuff, they all come in the core set. So it comes with all the components you need to play the game, plus one X-Wing and two TIE Fighters in the core set. Okay. Uh, now, real quick, the core set, not like a $60 thing, is it? No. And in fact, if you're... It, it retail, it, it, MSRP, I think, is like $35, $40. But reality right. is, if you're... Shopping online, or you're going around, I you can you're not going to spend more than like twenty eight dollars for it. I mean, it, it, it really, okay. you can, if if you're if you're not having to buy it right now, you can pretty easily find it for under thirty, um, and sometimes for as low as like twenty five dollars. But it's it's priced because Fantasy Flight knows you're going to want to buy more stuff. Uh, yes, yeah. It's not like like for instance like a a sixty dollar game where uh, and then they know you're going to buy more stuff. It's more like a thirty dollar game, and they know you're going to want to buy. $30 again worth uh, of additional shit. I mean, uh, if, I, if I were to put a numerical value on my stuff, if I were to buy it at what I consider the prices I would pay. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I very rarely paid full, full price right. for it. I mean, I probably, nobody who buys board games seriously pays full price. I'm probably, yeah, it's right. probably around 200, $250 worth of stuff. I mean, I, my collection, as far as people go, is relatively small. I mean, it's not 
huge. I have enough to play a lot of different Rebel and Imperialists, but I have no scum and villainy stuff, so that's going to be this Christmas. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, anyhow, <laughs> but it's, it's I'm about two hundred fifty dollars probably at you know at, at prices you can, you know or less for if, if if you if you do well. I mean, I it's so it's it's more expensive than your normal board game. I'll admit, but on the flip side, normal board game doesn't come with these. I mean, I am holding in my hand. You know, this is great radio because everyone who's listening to this can absolutely <laughs> see what I'm holding in my hand. Uh, I'm holding one of the X-wing miniatures, and it has. You know, it's got the all the the guns on it, and it's like these. I mean, they're seriously about a sixteenth of an inch in diameter, little guns, and they're fine details on there. You see, like the etchings for the exhaust and all the piping, and like the R two unit has got like a is actually painted individually, separate from the ship, and it's, it's mm-hmm. and like if you look at like the Millennium Falcon, you can see scorch marks and stuff like that. So there's actually a lot of detail. So there are kind of things that are cool on their own, and even if you didn't play the game, you know, you maybe would buy a few to kind of put up on a shelf. And they'd be, you know, they'd be worth it. And so it's not like I consider it egregious what they have done. Sure. Um, because it's not like for my money, I'm, you know, your standard expansion for most ships is $15. It is the normal price. There are some ships that cost, you know, bigger ships that cost 20 So like um, a K-Wing or one of the newer uh, ARC 190s, which is um, a ship from the prequels. Those are a, a bigger ship. They're actually physically about one and a half to two times the size of your your X wings and A wings and stuff like that. Those cost twenty dollars. Um, your large right. ships like the Millennium Falcon or the Slave One, those normally cost about thirty. That's the full. Oh my gosh! I knew they would do that because I was going to ask you. Okay, what is a Millennium well, because Falcon? Because it's, it's, it's physically right. a bigger miniature. It's a bigger ship. And the the other thing with those is that the big ships also tend to come with more components, more cards with them, more upgrades, and they also come with uh, scenarios. And so they actually have, you know, more cardboard, so like, you know, for custom, like, you know, co-op or co-competitive scenarios that you can play outside of the standard 100-point, you know, go-at-each-other list. You know, they actually have, like, kind of this, like, narrative thing going on where you may have, like, special conditions or, you know, special, you know, special items on the map that will give you bonuses and stuff like that. So, like, they, they have, like, all right, these custom, right. like, story missions that come with those only come with the um, core games and the larger expansions. They don't come with your little, you know, single miniature expansions. So, so uh, two questions real quick. What's a K-Wing? All right. Um, a K-Wing is something from the expanded universe. We have not seen it in the, any, of the, uh, any of the movies. Um, okay. We'll get into the expanded universe stuff in a little bit, because actually they don't do expanded universe stuff anymore. But it, it is essentially a bomber type ship. It's a very wide, you know, it's like, like I said, the, the miniature itself is almost t- twice as wide as uh, an X-Wing is. And it's got, right. you know, they, it's basically, think of it as the B-52 of the Star Wars universe. Uh, right, I'm looking at a picture of it here. It actually looks pretty cool. Uh, it is one, uh, un- inarguably one of my favorite ships in the game. I love this thing. It is a tank. I want one of those. It's got two cockpits, it looks it like. Does. Uh Three and wow, Ooh, that is cool. All right, fair enough. Uh, and the other question: Can you are you capable of rattling off like what you own? Like, could you say you know four X wings, a K wing, a Millennium Falcon? Oh, yes, like, I can. I, I have both core sets. I have um, a Y wing, a Tie Advanced, the Darth Vader Tie Fighter. I have um, a Tie Interceptor. Uh, I have the Millennium Falcon Slave One, a Lambda Shuttle. I have a Tie Phantom. I have uh, a YT. 2400, the Outrider. Uh, I have a Star Viper. Um, I have the K-Wing. I have 
Uh, I have the two packs called the uh, Imperial Aces and Rebel Aces. And, and, and uh, that's, I think, all of them. Okay. So I basically have like a, two large ships for each faction you know, I have. I have a bunch of smaller ships. So I, I don't really have a lot of duplicates of other things, I, but I have a pretty good wide variety. You know, I, I, I pretty much have – there's more ships I, could, I want to get, don't get me wrong. But I, I have been behaving myself um, with a wife and a son and another on the way. I can't just go, oh, here, the new wave came out, and I'm going to buy them all. I have to be a little more judicious with that and wait for Christmas. <laughs> now, uh, who, do you, who do you play with, by the way? Is this something that uh, – do you press your wife into service? You know, my wife actually has played with this? me. I've, uh, I played in okay. a, a variety of different ways. Um, so I have played one-on-one with my wife. I played one-on-one with you know, one of my coworkers a couple times. I have um, played you know, two-on-two and th- two-on-three matches, you know, which is easy to do. You split the points you know, where I have my brother and sister-in-law and my wife and me. You know, we're – Playing the game is two teams. Um, I have enough ships to do that, and you know, excuse me, build out the points. You know, expand it out to like 150 points, and you know, I can do that with two people, and everyone's got like everyone's basically got two ships, one large, one small. You can, and you can do fun with that, and you can play a game like that. And it's relatively balanced, you know, because it's a point system, so it's not like adding more ships to the mix. Oh no, it's gonna. You just have to make sure the points in the end are relatively same, and it should be a relatively balanced match. And the points are spent on more than just the Absolutely. ship figures. They're spent on how you configure Absolutely. the ship. So, basically, isn't it who's driving it and what weapons it yeah, has? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get that into a little bit more. But um, the main way I play it, though, is there are local game shops that have X-Wing Knights. Um, there's two I go to on a semi-regular basis. I, I, I basically try and go two to three times a month is, is what it amounts to because it's a little bit hard. My work schedule is a bit erratic. So sometimes, you know, hey, I want to go. I have my stuff ready in my car to go tonight. But... Oh, I didn't get off work till six thirty, and I need to go home and you know get dinner ready. So it doesn't happen. But right. you know, if I get out, if I can get out of work by four thirty five o'clock on like a Monday or Wednesday, I'll go to one or two different game shops and I'll play there. And it's just you know pick up games. I'll go there and there's there's always people there and you'll just kind of like, hey, you want to play a game? Yeah, let's go. And we'll you know put down our list and you know put it out and play a game. Play for an hour and a half, and then you know from the time I get there to the time I, the game's done, I leave. I'm spending an hour and a half, and I go back home and have dinner. So that's that's mm-hmm. mostly how I play. Now, do you do you uh, recognize like is is it some oh, of yeah. the same oh, yeah. people or I mean, okay. um, the one game store I go to is called Games Plus? It's a place. It's about half an hour away from both my work and my house. Um, there's a pretty reliable crew of regulars. There's about a dozen or so people there who are no, not everyone's there every week. You know, but every week there's usually eight to twelve people there, and you know most of the time it's the same group of people I recognize. You know, hey, how you doing, Ken? You know, and we'll play against each other and. and um, you know, I, I had the good fortune a couple of weeks ago of of uh, one of the net, you know North American champions who actually lives in the area who goes to one of the stores regularly. I, I got I got to play a match against him, and he had a couple of the you know ships from the new Wave Nine, which had not yet been released, but he'd gone to Gen Con and won the tournament there, so he had a couple of ships. Ah. Nine, so I got to play a match against him, and that was a lot of fun. What are the what are the ships in Wave Nine like? What are they? Are they having to scrape the bottom well, of the barrel now? Or is there anything actually, cool? No. You said there's no more extended universe well, stuff, right? Okay, so what happened is when when Fantasy Fight first started the game in 2012, this was before Lucasfilm sold to Disney. Obviously, they were just pulling anything willy nilly. So they were putting the you know the Outrider, which is from like Shells of the Empire, and they had um, all, the Tie Phantom, which is in like a bunch of the books and comics, and the Tie Defender, which you'll recognize from the Tie Fighter and X-wing games, and they had all these things in there. 
and they're just going and they're pulling everything from anywhere. So they they have the HWK, the you know the Hawk from the you know the Dark Forces games and E Wings. They had all this stuff, but then Disney bought them, and and so they basically finished out development of the the ships that they had at that point. But when, after Disney bought them, they've kind of been on a you know official canon. They did you know how Disney reset the the universe and said, all right, all we're putting all this stuff into Legends, and it's basically. It's not – you can still read it. It's still going to be available, but it's not really – we're not going to really acknowledge it officially anymore. Right, because they're doing their own spin-offs with like Rogue One. Record, and, yeah, yeah, I they're... totally support and think this was a, an objectively good move on their part. I, I, I think this was the right call. I'm glad they did it. Right. And, and, and the reality is that what they've been doing with their um, television shows is actually been bringing a lot of the better parts of the expanded universe back in. What are the television shows? There's Star Wars there, television shows? There are. Shows? There's, there's two, two animated television shows. One, Clone Wars. No. With, Cartoon. You're talking about cartoons. I, am. I thought you meant I like am, real television shows. I do shows. watch them. They are fantastic, Tom. I, <laughs> so I knew about Clone Wars. And the, oh, and you know, I think I know the other, like Rebels exactly. or something. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to lay this out here. Tom, Rebels, especially the endings and beginnings of season two, one and two, like the last right. couple episodes of season one, first couple episodes of season couple. First couple episodes of season two and the last couple of episodes of season two are as good as Star Wars has ever been. I, I, I would not I'm not going to say they're better than like Empire Strikes Back, but they are okay. certainly on par with like Return of the Jedi and they're better than anything in the prequels. So these aren't you're you're saying these aren't just for they kids. Are not they, just these for aren't kids. Like, now, I initially okay. dismissed them as such, um, but I had it on good authority from several folks on the forums and other places that they were actually legitimate worthwhile shows to watch on their own, and so I did, and I started watching them, and oh my gosh. There, I, I started watching them in February, actually. And, uh, well, yes, they are very, very, very good. So what, what actually, why that works for me when you say that, Craig, is previously when people had told me, yeah, Clone Wars is good, you should check it out. I, my feeling was, you know, you're just saying that because it's good compared to the prequels, which were wretched. <laughs> uh, so anybody who can claim that after Force Awakens, which I adored, uh, I, I feel that that carries more weight when you say a Star Wars cartoon is good after Force Awakens rather than before Force Awakens when your only alternative was, exactly. was the prequels. I'm going to lay this out yeah. there. The, the last couple episodes of season two of, of Rebels, which came out in uh, the spring of this year, the season three just started. Um, it, it's Twilight of the Apprentice. It, the last couple episodes, it, it, it is the last two hours of the show are better Star Wars than The Force Awakens. In fact, I would say the last two hours of Rebel Season 2 are the best Star Wars we've seen this year, in the last 12 months. And, and I do not say that I enjoyed The Force Awakens. I recognize there's some flaws with it. You know, okay, I'm not the biggest J.J. Abrams fan. I recognize all his proclivities in there and the faults that he brought into it. But he also did some very, very good things with it. And, it, and considering the job he had in front of him, he did as good as, better than you could possibly have expected. But mm-hmm. Rebel Season 2... Eclipses that and, and just has an even more emotional, even more narrative impact than The Force Awakens. So there are two full seasons of Rebels? There are. And, and like I said, season three just started. They, they're, they started two weeks oh. ago. So Okay. All right. No, I, I, I'm intrigued. I definitely am. Uh, I, you know, it, I almost watched a Batman cartoon because I was hearing people say, yeah, there's one of these, like Batman, I even forget which one it was. Okay. Batman, uh, the animated series, I'm guessing. I don't know if it's a series. I think it was like a just standalone, oh, okay. like movie, feature-length animated movie. I've heard uh, same thing. But there was one uh, about Arkham Asylum that that I think I read somewhere. Yeah, this is really good. It's legitimately better than uh, the last Batman vs Superman, which isn't saying Whoa. much. Uh, so, 
I, I'm not above just that. Basically, this is my way of saying I am not above watching cartoons. Just so you know, you know it, 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 really, right. it really is. It, 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 it is something that it, it's it, it's it reminds me of why I love Star Wars in the first place. Okay. Well, so the, so I want to know then. We started to talk about what can what is left to do with Wave Nine. What kinds of ships are they releasing? Right. Um, so they're releasing the Arc One Ninety, which it it has been is something from the prequels. It is one of the uh, okay. gun, the major gunboats of the prequels. It has gunners like that. It's a two seat ship, um, but they, they they kind of technically are bringing it into the new can you know new you know prequels. You see it you know in the in the cartoons make periodic appearances. Um, most of the real quick, how do you spell? Because I want to look up pictures of what. what how do you spell? Oh, sorry, Arc One Seventy A R C dash One Seven Zero. All right, because I put in one ninety. Yeah, you're, you know, I, 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 I'm looking at it right now and I go, oh wait, I just said that wrong. <laughs> I don't have it yet, so. I feel like I've seen yeah, it, that it, before, it, but it, it just it, looks like a weird snub nose in, uh, in, in Attack of the Clones and stuff. Okay, but it's also okay. in, yeah, in, the cartoon, right. in the cartoons and it's good there. Um, but the, so there's four ships in the newest wave. Three of them are from the cartoons, right. and one of them is from the Force Awakens. So they have a Special Forces Tie expansion pack, which is a mm-hmm a heavy-duty TIE fighter, and in fact, it's got a crew component, so is I clearly recognizable as the one that Poe Dameron and Finn escaped in at the beginning of The Force Awakens. Right, because when that happens, I'm watching and going, TIE fighters aren't two-seaters. No, that, What's that, going on? The Force yeah. is TIE, it's a two-seater with a turret, and so that is that is the ship that they escaped on, and so that it just okay. came out in Wave 9. And then they have this mm-hmm. called the Protectorate Starfighter, the Fang Fighter, and that's something from the... Uh, Cartoons. It only makes an appearance in cartoons, and it's a Mandalorian ship. So, you know, the okay. Boba Fett types, they, they, he was a Mandalorian. Well, this is like their special ops, you know, Navy fighter. You know, it's um, you know, an Interceptor-type ship. And then they have this what's called the Shadowcaster, which is, again, from the cartoons. And it's a bounty hunter ship. Um, so the last two are from are, are part of the Scum and Villainy faction. And, they're, you know, they're from the cartoons. And they're, one of them is a small, fast, agile fighter, and the other is this big, heavy-duty turreted ship. So that's the most All right. recent one. And then they, they, the sh- mm-hmm. I just want to say the Shadowcaster, it looks like something from Star Trek. Ew. <laughs> it really does. Ew. <laughs> All right. Cells on the side, yeah, I know. It's it's kind of a it's kind of an odd bird. But compared to the other things, I definitely get the sense that it's some big heavy gun platform. It is. Uh, they're definitely selling so, that. All right. I think now might be a good time. We've kind of gone a bit into the discussion. Might be a good time to kind of, for the people who have not played it, explain the basics of the mechanics. So uh-huh. um, it's a miniatures game. So at the beginning of the game, you construct lists of your ships. Now, the standard game is 100 points on each side. Those can be allocated between any number of things. So it's, as you said before, you have your ships. You have special weapons. So cannons and turrets that you can equip to your ship. Um, you have crew people you can put in there. So, hey, you can put... You know, Jan Ors or Kalkatarn in your ship, you know, if you're a rebel and you do special things, or you can remember Palpatine and Darth Vader in your ship on the Imperial side. There's um, faction neutral, you know, people you can put in that will do different things. Um, you can put munitions like torpedoes and stuff, which are uh, one shot weapons that can do a lot of damage, especially, and can do some really cool special effects, but they're one use only, so you got to do them well. You got to make sure you plan out ahead to use them. Um, my, and, and there's uh, elite pilot talents, which are like basically only certain ships get them. Like the best of the best get these, what they call elite pilot talents. that can do some really cool things, give you extra actions and stuff like that. And then there's modifications, which any ship can equip, which are, you know, can be things like engine upgrades, which allow you to um, do a boost, which is basically move your, do a second move after your normal move. 
So you can equip your ship with all these different abilities. Now, real quick, I just want to interject real quick. Uh, so with this points-based structure, uh, and given that there is a national champion, I'm presuming that X-Wing has has a sort of a tournament it element. Does. Where, where people, so has Fantasy Flight had to rebalance the cost have, of and, any and of the things? Aha. Uh-huh. All right. Go ahead. So the game, when it comes out, they, they do – I'm going to say they do a pretty good job of it. Now, most of the time – when a ship is out of balance, it's usually because it's overcosted. And, and to be honest, this is preferable because what happens, it's really easy to come back and say, okay, this ship, it costs too much. And the Darth Vader's tie, the tie advanced that I mentioned earlier, I have one. When the ship first came out, it was considered overcosted. It was not a competitive tournament ship because it cost too many points for what it did. It was basically useless in a, com- in yeah. a tournament because it would right, you right, could, you okay. Could, you would see them occasionally, but they weren't winning with them, and you were seeing certain ships that would that would dominate in the tournaments, and this would never be among them. So they realized that okay, the ship is overcosted. So what they did was later they came back and they released a a card that basically grants the tie advanced an ability to equip a free upgrade. It's called a systems upgrade. Now. Systems upgrades are very rare in terms of, there's not a lot of ships that can equip them. Um, but they do some very powerful things. Uh, right now, there are 10 ships that can equip this systems upgrade. So okay. less than a quarter of the ships can equip systems. And are all system upgrades a matter of, of post-release balancing, or no, some they, of them are released? Like, um, so like, the ship like the B-Wing came out, and it, it had the ability. So each ship has certain things it can equip. So every ship has the ability to equip one mod, and at a baseline, a modification. There's a special type of mod, which is a special type of card you can equip, and every ship can equip one of these. But that is the only card that you are guaranteed you can be able to equip. So you can equip one mod or one title, uh, and one title. And um, not all ships have title. Only in fact, only a few ships have titles. But you can, all, if you, if your ship has a valid modification or title, you can always equip those. But otherwise. Everything else requires you to have this special icon on the bottom of the ship card, and it will tell you what's available. So, for example, the K-Wing, why I love it so much, can equip bombs and torpedoes, and it can equip crew members, which are really, really cool abilities. Like, I let it do cool things. But, however, it can equip those. But, for example, a Y-Wing, even though it can equip torpedoes and turrets and stuff like just like the K-Wing, it does not have a crew slot because it reflects mm-hmm. that the capabilities of the ship. Mm-hmm. So, different ships have different things. So, like, uh, an X-Wing can equip a torpedo, it can equip modification, and if you have, like, an, a Luke or a Wedge, you can equip an Elite Pilot Talent. But if you're just flying a generic pilot, you're not going to get that Elite Pilot Talent slot available to you. Right. Um, so, A-Wings will have certain things available to them that the TIE Interceptor will not, and, you know, so on and so forth. So, each ship, based on the type of ship it is, will have things. So, like, not every ship can equip torpedoes, not every, equip, every ship can equip uh, cannons. Uh, there's a special type of, of, uh, of a card called Illicit, which is faction lock to scum only. Well, mm-hmm. was faction lock to scum only, but there's a new pack coming out called the Here's a Resistance, which is now allowing certain rebel ships, namely the uh, YT-1300 and YT-2400, the Millennium Falcon and the Outrider, to equip an Illicit slot. So okay. previously this was not available to anything but scum, but now it's starting to get broadened out to a few select ships outside of scum. So, you know, it, everything has its own thing it's going to equip. So, the TIE Advance came out, and it was overcosted. It, no one could fly a tournament competitive. So, they released a card that allowed you to equip a systems 
card at minus four cost. Now, okay. to put this in perspective, um, a, a, a Z95 Headhunter or a TIE, um, a regular TIE fighter, your basic, your most cheapest ships are 12 points each. Okay. So minus four is a third of a basic filler ship. So that's not an insignificant price reduction. You know, so Darth Vader costs 28 points to equip himself. So on a 100-point list, he's costing nearly a fully a third of your points with nothing on him. So to equip other things, you know, Darth Vader normally sits at like 35, 40 points. And you, 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 most common build, I think, for him is like 36 points. I'd have to look it up, but it's somewhere in the third. So you can see that um, an Aces build, which is, you know, Darth Vader or Suterfell or Luke Skywalker, typically are three-ship builds. Because when you have an Ace, they cost more straight up. Because the Aces come with special abilities and are higher pilot skills like that. That means, but they, you pay for it. So, you know, if you're flying right. just regular TIE fighters, you can put eight TIE fighters or eight Z95 headhunters on a list and fly that. And that will fill you out and put like, a few of them have a modification on there. For 100 points. Right. Or you can fly three decked out Super Duper Aces that can do all kinds of crazy stunts and stuff like that, but there's only three of them. So if you're flying Darth Vader, Sunterfell, and Karnor Jacks, which are three ships I like, I fly a lot, well, you may fly them, but between the three of them, you have five, uh, 11 health points. Whereas if that Z95 head on her list, between the eight of them has 24 health or 32 health points. Sorry, so you can see it's a pretty big disparity there. What uh, you mentioned one of the ships can be equipped with bombs. This is just strictly air to air combat. What 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 good are so bombs? So you know, in Empire Strikes Back, or no, it wasn't Empire Strikes Back. It was the terrible, terrible prequel movies. How the slave one drops his <laughs> drops his bomb off the back. I, I, I mentally mapped it to Empire Strikes Back because it's a better movie and Slave One's in it. But how, was, you know, what, what was Jango Fett's ship, uh, sorry, it was Jango Fett at the time, was flying around and it drops his bomb off the back and it explodes and destroys all these asteroids? Well, that's a seismic charge. That counts as one of the bombs. So basically mines. And there are two different okay. types. So there's actually different types of them. There are bombs that you drop that explode at the end of the activation phase. Um, and there are mines which are static, and they stay there until someone hits them. And I like to do this little trick ride, which is why I love the caving. It's, it's got this thing called slam, where you can, after you do a move, you can do another move at the same speed and do an action. Well, I like to doing this thing where I slam past a ship, then drop a, drop a mine behind me, and that mine is overlapping an enemy ship, and it explodes instantly. Right. It's a very fun, cool little trick that I have killed many people with, and, well... It's, 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 it's fun. This is why I love the K-Wing, because I can do these kind of dirty little tricks like, hey, you thought you were going to be lined up in front of me? Nope, I just zoom right past you and drop the bomb, and now you're dead. Now, uh, what, are, are you very familiar at all with uh, Armada, the, which, I, I, which I is a, so plays at a different scale? It is, um, it is a different scale. So Armada, and other than some shared artwork and some basic similarities in the fact that they are both about ships and both about you setting movement ahead of time, they're played at a different scale and played very, very differently. I've not played Armada, but... Right. Armada, because of the type of ship they are, you actually have to plan movements multiple turns in advance. And depending on the type of ship, you may have to plan, you may be able to make your movements that turn, or you have to make plan three or four turns in advance. Right. right. There are these little dials yeah. that you put like on, you're the, playing, on the table. You're playing like an Imperial Star Destroyer with a big, bulky, heavy hitter. This thing's a tank. This thing's huge. But you're going to have to make, set your movements three turns in advance. And if things change, 
before you go that after that third turn, that bathroom may have changed completely. You're locked into that move. But that right, right. But then there are smaller nimble exactly. ships, and there are like fighters, fighters as well. And like and you, know, you have the Carillion Corvettes and stuff like that. That you basically set the dial as you go. So then here's a here's a question I have for you. That sounds like it has more cool systems and variety uh, in terms of ships and how they can interact than X-wing. Like I, now you haven't played either ones, so this might be a little unfair. Not, but when I hear about X-wing and Armada, I naturally think, oh. I want the one with these different kinds of gameplay systems that has, like, Star Destroyers and, and Corellian Corvettes. Uh, they're very different. Yeah, yes. What's your reaction there? Yeah, um, go ahead. The honest answer is that they, the, the systems are different enough that they focus on different things. So okay. X-Wing is focused on, like, a dogfighting scale. And the number right. of ships – actually, right now, X-Wing is actually a much more varied game because it has more ships. It has more – it's been around longer, so it's got more available to it. Also, because of the way it plays, you know, there is just tends to be more variety in the way it gets because you can, there's a lot more tricks you can pull. And actually, with, with, with Armada, the, the number of options given to any ship seems much more limited. Now, I have not played it, but compare it would be like X-Wing is a tactical game. Armada is a strategic game. Right, or I would say operational yes. level almost. <laughs> but yeah, because there are strategic. Like, do you know Star Wars Rebell- Rebellion at all? I do, I do. Uh, yeah, like I love that. Like I would say, like that strategic. Maybe and operational isn't quite right, but uh, just as far as going down the scale, uh, Armada might be more between strategic and tactical, uh, and then X Wing is strictly yeah. Ta- tactical. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's kind of the thing that X Wing has so much tactical variety available to it. So I kind of hinted at it. So there's, there's a couple different ways you can build out. So X-Wing, at a very core level, has kind of this rock-paper-scissors thing between three general archetypes. There's what you call jousters, turrets, and arc dodgers. So jousters are ships that go are high firepower, lots of health. A B-Wing is your, typical, is your classical jouster. It's a, it's a ship that's going to go right at you and kind of try and hit you hard and hit you fast. A turret is a ship that has a, as you can tell, a 360-degree turret. Now, they have played in Wave 9 and recently played around with the idea of turrets that aren't 360-degree turrets. So mm-hmm. the Shadowcaster has what they call an auxiliary arc. So it's got the normal – normally, it's each, each ship is divided into four quadrants. So there's – normally, ships can fire directly in front of them. Turret ships, like the Millennium Falcon, can fire in a 360-degree arc anywhere around them. The special forces and the Shadowcaster have special auxiliary arcs that they can fire, but they can't just fire in 360 degrees. So positioning is still important for them, but they, but they have more availability in where they can shoot than your standard X-Wing or A-Wing does. Because, mm-hmm. um, like I said, the Shadowcaster has this auxiliary arc that can move as a part of an action. You can turn it so that instead of facing in one direction, you can say, okay, I want to face it to my left now, so that when I move, anything to my left I can shoot at. Because normally you can only shoot at things right. that are in your primary arc. Um, right. So that's turrets. And like I said, they've been playing around with the idea of what turrets are lately. But at a basic level, it's stuff that can shoot in more than just a primary forward arc. And then arc mm-hmm. dodgers. Uh, arc dodgers are ships that rely on not getting shot at. So a TIE Interceptor is a classic arc dodger. It's got three health. So if you get hit, there's not a lot of room for error. Like, for example, an X-Wing comparison has five. A B-Wing has eight. 
So mm-hmm. they're glass cannons. They can shoot. They can, they can shoot three. They can attack with three dice, but they only have three health. And you know, something like Millennium Falcon shoots with three dice. If they hit and you blink out, you can die in one shot. Mm-hmm. There's basically a difference between damage avoidance and damage exactly. mitigation. So an arc dodger needs to, right. but they do what they rely on is doing things that avoid being able to be shot at. So arc dodgers beat jousters in a broad sense. So a, a Sunter fell and time interceptor can theoretically beat a B-Wing because the B-Wing, if it moves first, especially the tie interceptor can then move. And then after it does its move, it can take an action and say, okay, right now I'm in the B-Wing's arc. I'm going to barrel roll off to the side. And now I can shoot at it, but it cannot shoot at me. So that's the classic mm-hmm. Arc Dodger. So Arc Dodgers beat Jousters. Jousters beat Turrets. Turrets beat Arc Dodgers. That's the cl- mm-hmm. basic ar- you know, three archetypes. But it is very much more s- subtle than that because the reality is it all depends on what ship specifically you fly, what pilots you're flying, what upgrades you're having, and how you fly them. Right. Like, for instance, one of the things I noticed from the, one of the videos you sent me, uh, the turn order is based on pilot exactly. skill. Like, the, the more skilled pilots get to wait and see what the other players are going to do uh, before they then take their action to try to set up their shot, which is an, another yes. phase that happens after yes. the so, movement. So there, there's basically four phases. So the first phase is you set your dial and you determine what your movement is going to be. After that, you go in order of pilot skill starting from lowest to highest. You reveal your dial and you move your ships. After you move your ships, you take an action. All right. Oh, which can be firing. Well, no, no, no. Like that, firing is, that... is its own separate thing. That's that's the atta- okay. the attack phase. So, that... well, then, real quick, I'm wondering what is the advantage if we're all setting our movements simultaneously? It's not like I was saying where the the higher skills can wait and see what the lower skills do. Like we set it simultaneously, but then the order that we execute it goes by skill. Yes. How does that so, help a higher so, skill pilot? So here's the thing: there are advantages mm-hmm. to, to low pilot skill and advantages to high pilot skill. So as I've already t- covered. High pilot skill has the trade-off of you are sacrificing points for high pilot skill and abilities. So low right, pilot skill ships sure. are generally you're going to have more of them on the field. If you're filing, if you're filing a bunch of, you know, low pilot skill or you know, you're going to have more of them than your opponent is if they're flying an aces list. Generally speaking, quantity versus quality, yes. right? So yeah. the advantage is you move first. Now this is an advantage and disadvantage, and it all depends on how you're playing and positioning. By moving first, you can deny your opponent's actions. So when you, after you do your move, you move your ship and you take your action. So there are different things like focus, evade, target locks, boost, barrel. So some things that are mo- dice modification and some things that are positioning. Um, mm-hmm. And they're both important in their own way. And, it, and what is the most important depends on the situation. Um, but a low pilot skill is going to move first. It means that they're going to be able to go. And generally speaking, they're not going to be able to, you're not going to block a pilot skill one ship because they're moving first. So they're going to know exactly what the setup of the field is before they dial, make their maneuver on their dial so that their person who's controlling them is reasonably confident when they move, unless they deliberately bumped, that they're going to be clear when they land so that they can take an action. Now, what happens is if you move and you, during your move, your move overlaps another ship, it's called bumping. And if you bump, you do not get to take an action. And this can be devastating. So a ship like Sunterfell, which is an entire interceptor, one of my, it's a really good ship. It's a high-quality ace, pilot skill 9. It's one of the best ships in the game. Very, very much a competitive you know, ship. You'll see a lot of competitive. But if Sunterfell bumps, he does not get his actions. And a Sunterfell without actions is rolling naked dice. And if you're rolling naked dice on three-hole, they get a good hit in, pop, you're dead. 
So mm-hmm. denying actions to an ace is one of the ways you want to try and kill them. So by moving first, it's an advantage to the person who's first because you can try and block them. And we have a lot of ships. You can do a lot of things to try, and that's the goal. If, you know, the, a lot of times on a lot of lists, you'll see a couple of aces with a, a low pilot skill, cheap ship, and that ship, its purpose is to act as a blocker. You don't really necessarily care so much about the damage you can do. It's there to take shots to, to absorb damage so that your aces don't take it, and it's also there to try and get in the way and block other ships. So I'm curious, what if you were like to look at what is being modeled in a real world dogfight? Because Star Wars is basically based on the World sure. War II dogfighting scenes. Uh, what is that bumping supposed to model? Because that seems like if a guy gets to go first, and I'm playing like a, a highest skilled pilot, and he gets to go first and just bump his ship into mine, what what is that modeling? Like it's, it's it would be insane. So the official explanation is that when a chip bumps, it's basically spending its action to try and avoid a collision. So basically, it's the uh, the unskilled pilot just being a spoiler and, and a jerk and just just flying recklessly. Okay. Yeah. So they, and I guess it has to make itself vulnerable anyway. Like it's not like like it, the, the ace still gets a chance to shoot it down. Sure. It's just when it gets to a range of a yeah. block. And okay. now, now ships that are touching at at the start of the combat phase do not get to shoot each right. other. Now you can still shoot other ships that you're not touching, but if two ships are, are touching each other, they don't get to shoot each other. Now sometimes I would. A, a very com- a very smart strategy can be to deliberately set up a block with a ship that's vulnerable so that you cannot get shot by them. Okay. So okay. that's that's a thing. It, it still it's, it still feels gamey. I mean, I guess I, I haven't seen it, but uh, well, I mean, it, and I understand why it's yeah. in there, but and it's just a difficult thing to do with the modeling something that is fast paced, sure. high action, like a dogfight in a turn based system. I mean, I'm sure this the complication isn't unique to, to X. Oh, no, no. Right. Uh, and, and so yeah. that's the advantage to going low pilot skills. The advantage to high pilot skills, you know exactly where all the other ships are going to be at the end of their move. So you can do things. So certain actions are contingent upon a range. So, But what you don't know, because you're having to dial in your movement bef- simultaneously. Okay. So let's say you have two ships that are not in. So there's a range marker that's range one to three. You can only. An action like target lock, you can only take if you're within range three or less of another ship, unless you have a special card that says otherwise. But generally speaking, range three of a ship, you have to be at range three or less in order to take a target lock as an action. Now, target locks are a very powerful means of dice modification. And dice modification is a very important concept in X-Wing. Um, because if you're rolling dice naked, you're basically at the whims. So an attack dice has one critical hit, three regular hits, and two focus results on it out of an eight-sided dice. So 75% chance to roll eyeballs. Or, sorry, mm-hmm. 75% chance to roll focus. paint. Now, if you have dice modification, if you have a focus action, that means you have a 75% chance of any individual dice coming up as a hit of some type or being able to make a hit. But if you do not have a focus action, if you have no dice modification, you have a 50% chance. So that's a very mm-hmm. powerful ad- addition. And so dice modification is... Um, one of the ways you push through damage, because if you're fighting against another ship and it, you're rolling naked dice, your, your odds of hitting can tr- decrease dramatically, especially if it's a high-agility ship. You need that dice modification in order to re-roll blanks or to change focus to hits or any number of right. different types of things to do that. Right. So target lock is one of those types of dice modification. You can only do it range one to three. So if you're two ships that are far away, and they move to the, the low-pilot skill ship moves first, at the end of that move, it may not be in range to take a target lock. However, the, ne- the high-pilot skill ship moves, it may move into range three. Now, that ship can take a target lock, and the low-pilot skill can't. That allows you to do things like shoot missiles that can be very important and help out in a big way. So, sure. 
So, Craig, I hate to do this, but I have to go stream uh, a game on YouTube. <laughs> uh, so I, I, there's so much more we could talk about in this. I, I hate to cut you short. Um, but but uh, real quick, um, ex- describe for me your last game. Uh, you know, you, you talked about, like, your, your tricky little move with the K-Wing. I, and the in mom. fact, that came up in my last game. So I was flying a K-Wing with a what's called a twin laser turret, which is three dice attacks. You do two ice. It's basically a low-damage high probability hit attack. It's a way to take out high agility ships. And I had it loaded mm-hmm. with bombs and stuff. And I had a, had a K-Wing with lots of bombs. It was Miranda Doni, which is a regeneration ship. Um, bombs on a turret. I had a, a Horton Psalm, which is a Y-Wing, a named Y-Wing, one of the ones that was on the Death Star attack, with a twin laser turret. Which uh, His ability is he modifies range two and three attacks. And then I had with him, flying with him, an A-Wing with a couple of uh, talents that made him very hard to hit. So I had a, a K-wing with bombs and a turret, a Y-wing with a, a turret, and I was flying in an A-wing. I was flying against. Now, real quick, real quick. Uh, given this paper, rock, scissors structure, you obviously can't look at what the other guy's yeah. flying before you make up your points. Like it's blindly uh, you, building. You build a it. list in advance. It's a big part of the strategy. Of the game okay. is building a list, but. Um, so, so you have to cover your bases. Like if you just go all jousting, for instance, you're you're banking on the well, other guy you know, not having I mean, enough. You, you you can make any list work. You just have to kind of fly them differently, different lists. So I was flying okay. against a guy who was flying a couple of um, of the new protectorate starfighters, which are, are pure jousters, high dice, hot you know attack jousters. Well, I wanted him to get range one into attacks, and then he had a couple other ships on there. Uh, he he had a wide with a turret as well. So flying against him. I used my turrets. My turrets were able to do things to his uh, his his protector starfighters, which are high agility ships, arc dodgers slash jousters, and I was able to reliably put in damage through. And at one point, I managed to put in a, in a in a do a move with my slam. I did a bomb that I was able to end the game basically by killing two of his protector starfighters by dropping a bomb that hit two of his starfighters in one move. Uh, does that frustrate other players? Because well, you're just you're making them fly into you're not you're not shooting them fair and square. You're making them fly into well, bombs. Well, you know the you thing dropped. about it is is that um, <laughs> bombs are one way to really deal with aces because a, a bomb does damage that ignores evade dice. It, it just it like I, I dropped right, a seismic right. charge. It's just straight. I, you do one damage to every ship within range one. It is unavoidable damage, so it just goes straight through and hits them. Right, very so, nice, very nice. And so you you did win. Yes, I did. Although I've been on the other end of things where you there's a, a ship called Dangar, and you have a list called Dangaroo, which which basically is the ace killer. It forces aces to re-roll their dice um, on mm-hmm. evade. Oh, out, right. So like it attacks you, and then you roll your evade dice. Normally evade dice are 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 what they are, and you can modify them. But he can make you re-roll them. So it's what happens is that evade that 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 ace that relies on evade dice to not die and modification all of a sudden. Boom, you, hey, I rolled three evades. Perfect, you didn't hit me. Reroll them all. Oh, right, I just right. rolled all blanks, and now I'm dead. Right. So I've been on the other side. Uh, well, Craig, uh, yeah, I, I definitely can see the appeal of this. I'm not sure you've talked me out of $250 in this podcast. <laughs> if we had another hour time, I could go. There is so much depth to this game. There's so many layers. We just barely scratched the surface, unfortunately. I definitely believe you. I definitely believe you. So I would say you've gotten me maybe about $60 towards that $250 commitment. So. All right, well, well, Craig, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Uh, congratulations again on this upcoming February in advance when your new daughter arrives. Do you guys, you guys don't know a name in advance, oh, we, do you? We, we, actually, we've had this name picked out for two and, for almost three years. Um, oh, you do? Well, okay, because so when, your we, when we first had it, we didn't find out with our first kid. 
We found out when, the, when our son was born. So we had both a boy's and a girl's name picked. And we actually picked the girl's name first. We did not figure out my son's name until just a few weeks before he was born. <laughs> um, sitting in a Buffalo Wild Wings in a Milwaukee waiting for a Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert to start. Nice. <laughs> well, what's your daughter's name then? What's, what's her name going to be? Uh, yeah, what, what's your daughter's name going to be? Like, have you've decided on her we name? Have. It is gonna, we're, we've decided on Liliana Marie. Ah, oh, that is lovely. Liliana um, Marie. I have this that is I'm an engineer, nice. so I, I wanted to have the names have some tie into scientists, so Marie Curie. Uh, my, son's yeah, na- yeah. my son's middle name is Isaac for Isaac uh, Newton. Sure, so, sure. Very nice. So Very nice. It's, this, right. is my, this is my thing. My, my wife was like, she kind of rolled her eyes and went along with it. <laughs> well, she sounds like you, you got the middle name, she gets the first name. We, we agree on the first name. Right, right. Well, at any rate, congratulations for uh, your February. Congratulations on your previous win at uh, X-Wing. Uh, thanks for talking to me, Craig. It was, it was uh, my pleasure, Tom. Glad to have you, and the listeners will see you guys here next week. Bye.